Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. Heard about a pastor that was used to greeting the congregation that way, and one morning he got up at time to speak that, and the microphone wasn't working, and he was aware of that, and he said, there's something wrong with this microphone, and the congregation replied, and also with you. So, so uh, but it is a recognition that God is with us, and he is with us through all our life. A few years ago, there was a fad on Facebook, if you're a Facebook participant, that was called Face App. And it was a, a thing where you could put your photo in there and it would use artificial intelligence to age you so that you could see what you're going to look like in 20 or 30 years. I never participated in that. I, I didn't really have the stomach for it, to tell you the truth. But it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, as we age, as we mature, how do, how do we appear differently to the world? But I wonder what it would be like to know what kind of person we're going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How will we mature as a person and in our character? At Trinity Baptist Church, we make four promises to each other about what our commitments are to live this life in Christ together. And the second promise is that we promise to grow spiritually. We, that's easy language to throw around, spiritual growth, spiritual formation. But what in the world does that look like? I mean, concretely, what if you could see your life 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? What kind of person will you and I have persons will you and I have become by that time? What does spiritual maturity even look like? Well, there are probably a, a number of places in the Bible <clears throat> you could go to hear it describe, but as we're making our way through Philippians, it turns out that Paul addresses that question in Philippians chapter 3 to some degree. Uh, chapter 3, verse beginning with verse 7, <clears throat> Paul is talking about his own life, how he met Christ on the Damascus road, <clears throat> How his life was turned around by that experience. He lost many things that he had put a, placed a lot of stock in and just desired, determined those kinds of things that were on his resume were just rubbish now. And he gave himself to following after Christ. And he says this, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, <clears throat> if somehow I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And he goes on, not that, not that I've already obtained all this or have already reached the goal, 
But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have obtained. Look at verse 15 again. Having <clears throat> described his own orientation to Christian living, uh, he said, let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind or think like this. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we've obtained. Paul in no way insists that our experience with Christ should be just like his. Uh, God works with each of us individually. But he does insist that our following after Christ should share some characteristics that were part of his life, some things in common with him. In particular, he's describing the way that Christ has formed him and shaped him, matured him over the years as he's obeyed the vision from heaven that he received when Christ called him to follow after him. And in the same way that our lives, as we've said yes to Christ and begin to follow him in discipleship and service and ministry and life, uh, that same decision we make shapes our life as well. And the goal of that is what he calls maturity that those of us who are mature should think this way. <clears throat> Sometimes I think it's terribly unfortunate that when we become Christians, we don't have instant spiritual maturity. Wouldn't that be wonderful? What a church we would have. <laughs> we, we would all be mature. We would all be Christ-like. But, you know, we're born into this world. We don't come. We come equipped for all the growth that's in front of us, but... We mature physically, emotionally, spiritually as we grow and experience life, and, and we're shaped by that in so many ways. Even Jesus, Luke says, when he was 12 years old and had this encounter with the religious leaders, he went back home to Nazareth and subjected himself to his parents, to his home life, and it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature physically and in favor with God spiritually and in favor with people socially. He grew. The only way I know you can grow is to start with less and get more. And that's what he did. Even Jesus experienced this maturing process, even spiritually maturing, coming to understand and know his father's will and work in his life and giving himself to that. And that's what we're called to is this process. I wish it were instantaneous, but it's not. It is a long obedience in the same direction, to quote Eugene Peterson. <laughs> And so it would help if it knew what the goal, if we had an idea of what the goal was. What does spiritual maturity look like? How, how do we orient our life? Think like Paul thinks there, uh, that we might become more and more mature. Paul says that when we have a perspective on life and discipleship, like the one he describes here in Philippians 4, 7 and following, that is what's formed him over the years, and it's the kind of thing that can form us. As many of you as are mature should think this way, and if you don't think that way yet, God will show it to you, he says. But this is the calling that we have. We can cooperate more fully with God in the process as we learn to think in these ways. Let's look at some of the things he says. He says that maturing people have a capacity 
to distinguish things that are more valuable than things from things that are less valuable in life. It's a capacity that comes as we mature. We start to realize that's important and that's not so important. This is valuable and that's not so valuable. And it's true spiritually also. It is this sense of giving ourselves to the things that are important that gives our lives a sense of gravity that holds us in place. It's the mark of immaturity and childhood that we can't distinguish between the instantaneous, the unimportant, the less valuable, and the more valuable. There's a very profound poet that I, I enjoy reading and have read to my children. It's a fellow named Shel Silverstein. You know that guy? He has a poem called Smart, and this is it. My dad gave me $1 bill because I'm his smartest son, and I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. And then I took the quarters and traded them to Lou for three dimes. I guess he don't know that three is more than two. And then along came old blind Bates, and just because he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes, and four is more than three. And I took the nickels to Hiram Combs down at the seed feed store, and the fool gave me five pennies for them, and five is more than four. Then I went and showed my dad, and he got red in the cheeks and closed his eyes and shook his head, too proud of me to speak. <laughs> It's the mark of immaturity not to know what's most valuable and to trade off things for things that are less valuable. And it's true in the life with God as well. Mature people are those who are able to distinguish the more important from the less important in life. And Paul had even prayed that for his friends in Philippi. Remember back to chapter 1, he had said, This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best or what is most important, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. A primary mark of maturity is that one does distinguish between the more and the less important, making judgments about values. For one, learning to respond to God's call, it is so important to understand that the call of God upon our lives is the core. It is the most important thing we could ever say yes to. And it is by orienting in our lives to that that we give ourselves to the most important things. In verses 12 and 13 here in chapter 3, Paul makes a play on words. He does that through this whole passage, but his first time is here. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have yet made it my own. You see those underlined phrases? Those are all the same word in the Greek language, a same verb. It means uh, to take hold of something, to possess it, to apprehend it, to chase it down and catch it and, and snag it, to understand it. It's a big word. And he just plays with that through there. Paul had been apprehended, taken hold of by Christ on the road to Damascus, captured. He was on his way to Damascus to apprehend Christians, and Christ apprehended him on the Damascus road. And now Paul is convinced that Christ apprehended him for a purpose, and so he is determined to apprehend that for which Christ apprehended him. I'm going to chase down God's purpose in my life, Christ's purpose for me, and I'm going to lay hold of it. I'm going to obtain it. It's going to be mine because Christ apprehended me. 
He describes that purpose in terms of pressing on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus in verse 14. And so that for him is the answer to the question, what's the most important thing in life? The most important thing in life is to lay hold of God's purpose for our life, to, to say yes and know that we are following after Christ for a purpose. It doesn't matter whether we are apostles or students or engineers or farmers or whoever we are in the world. Our maturing person is one who knows the most important thing in my life as a follower of Jesus is to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me to be able to pursue God's purpose. Spiritual maturity grasps the truth that God is involved in our world accomplishing his redemptive purposes and that when he laid hold of me, he invited me into that process as well to be part of his church, to pursue his redemptive purposes in the world, to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of us. What could be more important in our lives? Maturing people's make distinctions between what is more important and less important in life. And the most important thing is this finding and laying hold of the purpose for which Christ laid hold of us. <clears throat> but beyond that, maturing people make a commitment. They orient their life. They align their resources. They make a commitment to actually attain those things which matter most. Once you've determined with confidence that God has a rich purpose for his world and that he's invited us into it. Maturity means ordering your life so that <clears throat> everything points toward that as best as possible. Paul makes another play on words there. He uses this, uh, a word that it can mean to pursue, to chase down. It can also mean to persecute, chase down for the sake of persecution. In verse six, he had said, uh, talking about his own resume, he said, if you want to know how zealous I was before I became a Christian, zealous for God, I persecuted the church. He uses this word there. But in verse 13 and 14, he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, <clears throat> straining forward to what lies ahead, and here's that word, I press on, I chase down, I persecute, I prosecute, I, I, I give everything toward this, toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had once pursued what he believed to be the will of God, only to find out that persecuting the church was not the will of God and that he encountered Christ on the Damascus Road. Now he pursues this heavenly calling. The pursuits become a commitment. It's like an Olympic athlete in the middle of a race. Only one thing matters, and that's the finish line. And literally, Paul says, I pursue it along the marks. I'm, I'm in the track. I'm running the race. And the finish line is what matters more than anything else. The older we get, the more we mature in this world. The more we find ourselves making long-term commitments that are not easily backed out of. Uh, we may commit ourselves to an educational path. We may ask someone or say yes to someone's uh, invitation to spend the rest of our lives together in marriage. We may have children. We might sign a 30-year mortgage. All of these kind of things are long-term commitments that maturing people find themselves making in this life around here. And they're things that are difficult and costly, and they're things that are not easily abandoned without consequences. Uh, 
And, and it's that kind of commitment to Jesus that's more challenging than all of those things put together. The decision to take hold of God's purpose for our life is a decision to orient everything in our life how we spend our time, how we invest in relationships, what we do with our money, all of those things are to line up with this purpose for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. The call to be a Christian is not some add-on to our lives. It becomes the center of our lives. And wherever God has our lives at any time, that's the thing, Paul says, that maturing people orient their lives toward because it's the most important thing, he says. The act of maturity is to be able to set aside the temptations and the allures of the moment for the longer view, the more important thing, something bigger. It's a mark of immaturity to know what is best and then just to fail to pursue it, to choose second best because it's easier. It's a mark of immaturity to be unwilling to let go of that which gratifies for the moment but which doesn't contribute to the long-term best and good. So the kingdom of God, Jesus described, he said it's like a treasure in a field that a man was out plowing and uh, working for someone else and his plow struck something. He thought it was a rock and he went around to clear the ground and found, no, it was a treasure box. And he looked around and saw that nobody else had seen him discover this. So he buries it and he goes and sells everything he has so he can go purchase that field and have the treasure also. It cost him everything, but it was worth more than that. Or Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a, a pearl of great price that a pearl merchant came across as he was traveling looking for beautiful pearls and he found one that was more beautiful than any had ever seen. He went and sold all that he had so he could have this one pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like someone setting their, themselves to the plow and moving along the furrow and not looking back. This is the way Jesus described the kingdom. And it's what Paul is saying here. Mature people understand that once you've determined that the kingdom of God is the most important thing, then it is orienting everything in life toward that that is a mark of maturity. Paul said, that's what I've done. <clears throat> this one thing I do, I, I have put everything else aside and pursue this one thing. And those who mature are those who learn to think like that. Maturing people, Paul says, understand that no matter how far they've come in their growth, they still have a long way to go. Uh, a runner never wins a race by running along and running and running, uh, but having no excellent idea about where the finish line is. It's not enough to quit before you cross the finish line. To do so guarantees that you lose the race. It's not enough to say, I think I've run far enough. I've run further than most people could and faster than most people could, so I think I'll just quit right now. The finish line is what matters. Maturing people, Paul says, always know that they've got a ways to go. We've never arrived just because we think we have. It's like a map on a long journey. They, they tell you how far you've come, but also how far you have to go. When it comes to service and ministry and discipleship, maturing people know they've not arrived yet because the horizon for growth is always out in front of them. Uh, the irony is that truly maturing people are the ones who are most aware of their need to go further. It's the immature who think they've arrived, who presume they've got answers to all the questions. Um, it's the, you know, it's, it's the 10-year-old that's likely to say, leave me alone, I'm a big boy, I know what I'm doing. And so it is with spirit in the spiritual world. We 
maturing people know we've got a long way to go. I thought of education as being like that a lot. It's like you walk into a room and there are three doors and you walk through a door and you walk into a room with 20 doors and you choose one of those doors and walk in and there's a room with 50 doors. There's always more, more, more. And we never arrive at that. One of my colleagues at seminary trying to explain this in class one day to a group of students and he said, you know, if you draw a circle and inside that circle is everything you know, and the perimeter of that circle, the circumference of that circle, is everything you don't know, uh, lies outside of that. Well, then you know more, and you say you draw a bigger circle, but guess what? The circumference just got bigger. And then you draw a bigger circle, and you know more, and the circumference just got bigger. You're just always figuring out that there's so much more to know than we can possibly know. How do you think it is in our relationship with God? God is an infinite being, and we have finite minds. And it would take an eternity to get to know an infinite being and still you'd never know him. It, it's always out there for the maturing person. It's the immature person who thinks they've arrived. Paul has another play on words there in verse 12. He said, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal. That phrase, reach the goal, it's translated, is a word become perfect. It's the same word he uses in verse 15 when he says, those who are mature. He says, not that I've already reached the goal or have become mature, uh, but beloved, I do not consider I have made it my own yet. I'm still chasing this down. I'm trying to grasp this. And yet he says, those of us who are mature will think this way. And so it's sort of a, a tension. I'm not mature. I haven't grabbed hold of this yet. I haven't obtained it, but I'm pursuing it. And if you're mature, you'll think this way too. So the, it's always in front of us. In C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, there's an episode in Prince Caspian when Lucy Pavinci encounters Ab, uh, Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure, after a long absence. She hasn't seen him for a long time. And he says, welcome, child. And she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And she says, he says, that's because you're older, little one. Not because you are, she asks. He said, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Our, our growth in Christ doesn't allow us to eventually comprehend or understand everything there is to know spiritually. God grows as we grow. That is, we become aware more and more of God's greatness and God's bigness and the fact that we can't comprehend him. Those who are mature understand that they have a long way to go. Martin Luther said, this life is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It's not health, it's healing. It's not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we will be, but we are growing toward it, and the process is not finished, but it's going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. That's the kind of journey that we're on in following Christ, one in which the opportunity for growth and maturity is always out in front of us. we getting to know the eternal one, and it's going to take eternity to do that. Maturing people, Paul says, think like this, I've not yet arrived. Maturing people, he said, value hope more than memory. Maturing people understand the horizon of the future is the place where there's leverage for growth and, and maturity. It's, it's always in front of us. 
That's the place where change and influence can happen. That's the place where life can be shaped. Is it, it's in the days that lie in front of us. The immature get stuck in the past in a lot of ways. Sometimes they can't let go of some experience long ago that they cling to like a, like a parasite on their skin. And they think they can never be forgiven or never get over it. And they can't see the future. That's an immature place to be because God's forgiveness is complete and great. But sometimes the immature just won't let go of the past. Or sometimes the immature hold on to something in the past that was great and glorious. And they're afraid the future doesn't look like that. And they don't want anything to do with the future. So they just hold on to this thing in this past, this accomplishment, and say, that's good enough for me. I'm just going to camp out there. Mature people learn from the past and build on the past, but they don't live in the past. The horizon is always in front of them when they're mature. Life is a journey on a race. You succeed by going forward, not backward. And Paul's maturity is found in just this openness toward the future. He's in a prison cell, for crying out loud. He's already accomplished so many things in his life. It would have been easy enough for him to say, enough is enough. And my ministry and my life is over. My growth in Christ is over. But instead, he has this image of a runner in a race who is still pursuing what lies ahead. He uses still another wordplay. <laughs> Paul's found a kind of holy forgetfulness, he says, that helps him face the future. Forgetting those things which are behind, he says, and he uses a, a word that... It's, well, it's a long Greek word, but it sounds just like the next word, though they're different words. Forgetting those things which are behind, the usefulness of the past is over. It served its purposes. Uh, tomorrow is more important than yesterday. Hope is more important than memory. He says, forgetting those things behind, I strain forward. And he uses a word that sounds like the first one. Street, stretching forward, reaching forth. Paul understands, because he's maturing, that, that God is the God of the future, the God of hope, who stands before us and keeps inviting us into his future. He, he doesn't want us to camp out at any place or fall in a hole in the past and stay there. He doesn't want us to rest on any laurels of past years. He is constantly calling his people forward. And maturing people know the future is really important. And they lean into it. They live toward it because that's where the finish line is. And that's where the race is accomplished. So you hear Paul's words here. It, it's a really beautiful thing to say, I, brothers and sisters, I lost everything for the sake of Christ. But this is the most important thing to me is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So this one thing I do, I forget the things behind. I press on to the things that lie ahead. God apprehended me for a purpose. I want that purpose. I'm yielding myself to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm not going to rest until I've crossed the finish line. And those who are mature have learned to think this way, he says. And if you think any other way, God will show you. This is it. This is the direction of maturity. It's this process, this ongoing thing. It's one of those things that we may recognize in our lives or, uh, as much by its absence as by its presence. Immaturity stands out just like maturity does. In the life of pursuing Christ's call in our life, immaturity, the more we're on that end of the spectrum, looks like a kind of self-righteousness that thinks it's already arrived and doesn't need any more stretching or growing or development or accomplishment. It knows all the answers. It judges others by the standard that it's reached rather than judging oneself by the standard of Christ. That's an immature posture. 
Immaturity looks like a life that's focused on a self-centered agenda that's hardly worthy of the one human life that we have. It's pursuing a career or pursuing fame or pursuing possessions. That's a kind of immature perspective that doesn't know how to value things properly. Sometimes immaturity looks like pursuing so many things at once that life is fragmented rather than this one thing that I do that Paul offers here. Immaturity may know to do the right things, but because they're difficult or because they conflict with other things that are easier or more attractive, they lay aside the most important in favor of the easier, the immediate pleasure. Immaturity is an undisciplined life, the life that takes the short view of things. Immaturity looks like a life that's weighed down by its past. It can't either get over the mistakes or move beyond the accomplishments, and the future is not the focus of such a life. Or immaturity may look back on a past and and say, I've done enough. Others can take it from here. I give up. I'm tired. I'm not ready to go on any further, and refuse to live with the courage that it takes to move forward in life because of the difficulties. But maturity, on the other hand, recognizes it's got a long way to go. It's challenged and humbled by that, and it knows it's not arrived, and it's less likely to judge others because of that. Maturity has confidence in the knowledge that God has laid hold of her life for a purpose, and so following Jesus day by day fulfills that purpose, and they give themselves to that. Following Jesus day by day in this life, in this place, Maturity has the confidence to translate that commitment to action, aligning resources and time and uh, gifts to point toward that purpose in Christ and to grasp them. Life is reshaped and reordered to make that a possibility. Maturity looks like an orientation toward the future. It knows that God is the God of the future, the God of hope, the God of exodus and the empty tomb, the God who stands before his people and speaks to us in promises and invites us to the future and says, it's okay, you can come into this future because I'm going to be there. And so the maturing follower of Jesus delights in that hope and lays aside the weights of the past, the failures and successes, and stretches every fiber of its being toward the finish line, the future where God stands calling us. And so if you're maturing, Paul says, you'll think like this. And if you don't think like that yet, God will show you the truth. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, We have not yet attained or been made perfect. Sometimes we talk and act as if we have, but we've not. We ask you to both humble us and challenge us with the consciousness of our immaturity. Help us to live a life consistent with the level we've so far attained and trust you to reveal to us those places where you desire to take our lives deeper. Forgive us for our self-righteousness, our despair, our small purposes or our many purposes, our lack of priority, our our laziness, our fear, our clinging to our past. We acknowledge that you died to free us from just such things. Refine our callings, Lord, we pray. Take us forward. Lift our eyes to seek the future you have for us. Let us be encouraged by what you have for us rather than being overwhelmed by how far we have yet to go. And let us hear in your desires the promise and commitment you bring to fulfill them with your power. We pray this morning for those among us who need to decide that what they most deeply long for is life in Christ. 
give them the courage to move forward toward it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.